continuing through our series in the book of Acts. We're skipping forward a bit. We're skipping chapter 3, but I'm going to tell you about chapter 3 now as we prepare to look at chapter 4. Chapter 3 tells the story of a paralyzed man in the temple courts, and Peter and John come through and tell him to get up and walk. So he does, which you'd think would be a good thing. It was for the guy that got up and walked. But the chief priests and the Sadducees were, were upset because they didn't like the change that was happening. You see, these were the very people that made sure that Jesus was crucified, and now this movement that they thought they had put an end to through crucifying Christ is still going on, and they are not in control anymore. So, Peter is talking to the crowd after uh, this man is healed and telling them by what power uh, they raised him, and the Beginning at the first verse of chapter 4, I'll start, and then our, uh, the passage we're looking at uh, begins at verse 8. The priests and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's, fa high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you, did you do this? And now our passage then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone." Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, I just included that last verse because I think it's funny. I, I, but I couldn't find in the commentaries anything that, that really helped. But um, let me understand why that detail was included, but I guess, you know, you get to a certain age and you really don't change much anymore, and maybe that was the situation with this guy, but he was over 40 years old, never walked a day in his life, and because of the power of Jesus Christ, he walked. 
Now I'll get to the actual sermon. Notice that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. It's pretty much, you can picture them, these people in authority coming up to those who are speaking and saying, wait a minute. You see, this was in the temple. This healing took place in the temple. These people believed that they were responsible for what happens in the temple and they were not happy with what was going on. And as we look through this passage, we're going to look at three things. First, the messengers. Second, the message. And third, the problem. First, the messengers. And this is um, where I got the title of the sermon, The Church's Courage. This is probably about 60 days after Jesus was arrested and crucified. That means that 60 days after Peter, when confronted by a servant girl, refused to acknowledge Jesus Christ. A servant girl who could do nothing to him. But her question frightened him so much that he lied and ran away. 60 days later, he is confronted by the leadership, the people who can actually do him harm, and he stands up to them. What has changed? Well, there are a few things that have changed. First, circumstances. He didn't know that Jesus would rise from the dead. He didn't know that Jesus would appear to him after he had risen from the dead. He didn't know back in that um, courtyard that... Christ had risen victorious over death, but now he does. And now he knows that after Jesus' victory, there is nothing to fear. Another circumstance, people are responding to the message from 3,000 to 5,000 in just a few days. More people are coming to know Jesus Christ and trusting in him. And of course, the fact that this guy, who was over 40 years old, by the way, stood up and walked another circumstance to give them great courage and confidence. Another big change, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They had God indwelling them now to give them power and confidence and strength. A few years ago in my previous church, we did a study uh, by a man named Jack Levison on the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit works. And it was a, I found it to be a very meaningful study. It wasn't um, what we might think of as a, a typical Holy Spirit study because it wasn't mostly about the gifts of the Spirit and the demonstrable things that the Holy Spirit can do. It was about the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in our lives. And one of the, the um, lessons that really bugged people quoted Mark 13, 9 through 11. So I'm going to look at that and maybe bug us a little bit. Jesus is speaking about the destruction of the temple and the end times. And he says, you must be on your guard. 
You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what happened to Peter when the man was healed and he began speaking and explaining it to the people. It's exactly what happened to Peter when he was brought before the authorities and the Holy Spirit gave him the words to say. The reason that this bothered us at my previous church is because Levison was applying it to, to me and to you, saying, be ready. And we're, we're not really into this idea of struggling and suffering for Christ. In fact, a lot of the way the gospel is presented is that believe in Jesus and everything will be great for you. But that's not the message that we see in Scripture, particularly in the book of Acts. Because the message is one that people don't like. The message is one that will get us into trouble. But it is the truth. And we have God's Spirit within us to help us when we go through the trials that our faith may bring to us. Trust in that. The leadership wanted to know what was going on, and the way they asked was in verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? And of course the name... The power is Jesus. Unfortunately, the authorities were much more concerned about authority, their authority, than about truth. So they were unable to see what was happening. They were unable to see the truth that Jesus Christ did rise victorious over death, that the Holy Spirit did descend and indwell his people and give them power and strength. But the messengers, the messengers were changed from fearful to bold, from frightened to courageous. And now the message. In verses 11 and 12, explaining how this man was healed. Peter says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's a very interesting parallel to this in Matthew 21. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 42. Jesus, in this passage, is standing before the same types of rulers, and probably, if you look at the names in various sections of um, the Gospels and Acts, some of the same players are involved, some of the same leadership is involved in um, trying to undo the work of Jesus before his death in, with him, and then after his death with his followers. Verse 
Now I have to find this passage. I just told you where it was, but I don't remember. Yeah, is that right? Sorry, this is an awkward pause um, because, yeah, Matthew, 21, <laughs> that's the problem. <sighs> it's right here. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on the, this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Then the when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses the very words that Jesus used, probably with the very same people, to remind them that Jesus is claiming that he has authority, that he is the truth, that he is Lord of all, Lord of the temple. So if Jesus is Lord of the temple and Jesus wants to heal someone in the temple, even though they believe they have authority in the temple, Jesus can do what Jesus wants to do because Jesus is the authority even over them and sad for them because Jesus is authority over them and if they do not follow him, believe in him, trust in him, believe the message, then destruction will come. Jesus told them this, Peter is telling them this, and yet they don't seem to want to believe it. Now, one little aside here that I think is really important. It says here that part of the reason the leadership was impressed with what Peter said was that Peter was unschooled and ordinary. The message that Peter shared with them was not less powerful because he was unschooled. It was more powerful. It was not less effective because he was an ordinary person. It was more effective. Now that is true for almost everyone in here because most of us are pretty ordinary. Now we may have some schooling, but we may not feel like we have enough schooling to really understand all the nuances. But Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit teaches through you. So your witness is as strong, and I dare say stronger than someone who has all the schooling, who seems to have all the academic answers, because your witness is a witness of experience, of experiencing God at work in you and then through you. So don't ever say, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough education. I'm just ordinary. Ah, Because when you say that, you're saying the very reasons why you are the best witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't hold back. However, 
We have looked at the messengers, we have looked at the message, but now we have the problem. And I wasn't going to deal with the problem very much until I was reading uh, for my research for today, and I read this um, biblical expositor, preacher, uh, who said, now here's why verse 12 does not mean that Jesus is the only way to salvation. It's very important for us to understand that all religions are equally valid, all faiths are equally good, and it's this, this, it looks like, and people say it means that Jesus is the only way of salvation, but it, it, it doesn't. And I got very sad because it does. It very clearly means that Jesus is the way of salvation. Back in 2001, uh, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church uh, asked the uh, Office of Theology and Worship to write a statement paper because there were and unfortunately still are many within our denomination who do not believe that Jesus is Lord of all, that Jesus is the way of salvation. They say, well, all religions are good, and we just need to dialogue with everyone and, and see what's good there and see what's good with us. And it's really all about love, isn't it? And it is, but not as they're defining it. So anyway, 2001, um, this statement was written, and it's called Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it says is that all humanity needs a Savior. First point. Second point, Jesus Christ is that Savior. Third point, it is possible, and they got this from one of our, the confessions of our church, that God will use other means to guide people to himself than what we typically think of as far as the church sharing with them or the gospel being presented. Now, some disagree with that, but we, we know that God wants people to be saved. But what it, does not, what it clearly does not say, and, and makes a point to say it is not true, that people come to God by any means other than Christ. But God can use other means to get them to Christ, but it is only in Jesus Christ that salvation comes. And many of us were very pleased that our denomination was able to make a statement that strong, that it is only in Jesus Christ that salvation comes. But logically, it's the only way it works. You can say that all religions are basically the same, that um, all paths, you know, it's all different paths leading to the same place, but that doesn't work. If you believe that Jesus Christ existed, if you believe the biblical witness, you have to believe that either Jesus Christ was an arrogant liar by saying he is the way to God, or he is the way to God. And if he is the way to God, it is not arrogant in the least to say that he is, right? He's just telling the truth. And it's the same for us as we share this message. It's difficult today to do this because that pastor who wrote this thing that Jesus is not necessarily the only way, it's just reflecting the culture around him. It is not an easy thing today to say that Jesus is the way to God because people don't want to hear it. They want to believe that all religions are basically the same, and yet religions disagree with each other on very serious points. Some religions say there is no 
real God. It's just a life force. Some religions say that God is outside of any ability or willingness to communicate with humanity. But Christianity says God is personal, and God desires to be in communication with humanity. It can't have both. And if there is a creator God, then that God can tell us how to know that God. It's not up to, it's not up to me to figure out how I want to find God. If God is real, then I have to find the real one. It's like playing a game of hide-and-seek, and someone's hiding, and I say, oh, I found them, where I'm nowhere near them. That makes no sense. You have to actually find the person, be face-to-face -face with them, and say, I found them. That's the way it is with God. A personal God finds us and is face-to-face -face with us. It's not based in what, what we want or what we think it should be or the way, the path that I want to find. It is a real God, a personal God, finding us and establishing relationship with us. Not a message people want to hear, but it is the message that we've been entrusted with. And folks, this is a pretty new thing in our culture to be unwilling to see that there is an absolute truth outside of ourselves, to think that truth is mostly inside of our own hearts. And can a certain era of culture be wrong? You bet it can. And some of us have witnessed horrible mistakes in, in our culture or in another culture. So we do not have to be slaves to what the culture is saying, that God is whatever you want God to be. C.S. Lewis says, it's just like arithmetic. There's only one right answer to a sum, and all other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. I don't know what that, I mean, it's not horseshoes. It reminds me of um, a pastor in Downingtown who was one of our interims. He lived in Lancaster, worked in Downingtown, would take Route 30. I don't know if you've ever been on that road, uh, but he would take that every day from Lancaster to Downingtown and Downingtown to Lancaster. And one day, uh, the red and blue lights were following him and turned on. And, and so he pulled over as he's supposed to do. And the officer came up and, and uh, Reverend Larson said, Officer, there's no speed limit posting on this road, so how am I supposed to know how fast to go? So clearly my 70 miles an hour might be okay because there's no signage that says otherwise. Well, he did not win the day with his argument. He still paid his fine, but they did change in that they put speed limit signs on Route 30 between Downingtown and Lancaster. He was able to get something to change. Thelma and Louise, <laughs> when they drove off the cliff, were not able to get gravity to change. 
Wiley Coyote does it for a minute or a second or two, standing up there with his legs still going, but he still drops down. Gravity doesn't change. And that's the question. Is God subjective or objective? Is God a project, a product of my imagination, or is God God? And if God is God, then God tells us how to know God. And in Jesus Christ, God reveals to us the way to know himself. To believe that is not to be narrow-minded or cruel or arrogant. I hope not anyway. I mean, people can believe it that way, right? You've seen Christians that act all superior because somehow they received God's grace. God's grace is opposite of something that would make you feel proud or arrogant because it is God's grace. It's not about you. So when you interact with people of other faiths, you should do so with grace. But never giving up the truth that Jesus is God's provision for our salvation, that Jesus Christ offers this gift of salvation to everyone. Whatever their background, whatever their culture, the gospel transcends culture. And Jesus doesn't withhold his grace from anyone, no matter what their previous beliefs. So we are called to graciously share this gift of truth with courage because the Holy Spirit equips us and because everything has changed. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. If that's our message, and it is, Shouldn't we want to share that with everyone? Because everyone can share in this victory over sin and over death in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. We know that we don't deserve it because that's what grace is, undeserved. But we've received it nonetheless. Father, we confess that it is difficult in our age, as it has been in all other ages, but difficult for different reasons in our age, to believe as you call us to believe. For the basic presuppositions of so much of the culture around us say, no, you can't believe like that. But your word is true. Help us to trust you over any other authority, just like Peter said to those leaders. What will please God? To do what God says or to do what you say? Help us to be people who want to do what you say. To live our lives in fellowship with you, trusting you, empowered by you, and faithful to you and to your call upon our lives to share this good news with the world around us. Lord God, I pray for Vacation Bible School this week that this message would be shared faithfully, 
that lives would be changed. And I pray for the overall ministry of this church and of all churches, really, that we would be faithful to this word and lives would be changed. Not just for the here and now, but for all eternity. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.